Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast brought to you by TasteWise. My name is Ron. With me here, as always, is Miriam. And today we're going to go over the top performing Australian trends. Specifically, we're looking at things that we feel were classic to Australia. We're doing this to celebrate the fact that uh, you can now browse um, Australian data on our free edition. So if you go to tastewise.io and click on the Get Started button, you can use our free edition to analyze and look into Australian trends along with a few of the other countries and markets uh, that we launched, like Canada. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Miriam. um, Hi, Ron. I have a Star Wars-themed dad joke for you. I'm ready. Where do the Jedi do all of their holiday shopping? Where do the Jedi do all of their holiday shopping? They do it at the Darth Mall, because everything is half off. (laughs) Oi. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's pretty good. That is a good one. Dark, but good. I like it. Um, I have an Australian joke for you to celebrate today's theme. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. I'm ready. What do you call a boomerang that won't come back? What? A stick. (laughs) Oh, I think, (laughs) wow. (laughs) I think even compared to like some of my worst ones, that was bad. (laughs) I like it because it's factual, you know? (laughs) Um, So... Today we're talking about uh, Australian trends. Um, so we're going to do a rundown of some uh, interesting trends in Australia and how uh, they're performing and when the, what they can inform us um, in regards to the worlds of new product development and market research uh, and consumer insights uh, in Australia. So where are we beginning? So my usual answer to that, where are we beginning? We are beginning at the beginning. Um, I want to set us some groundwork before we really uh, dive in. Um, today's going to be a little bit short and sweet just because we want to get you um, kind of the basics out there as we launch our, uh, or as we continue our Global Insights Month. Um, so first things first, big thank you to Luda Greco, who has been instrumental in pulling all of this uh, data and research into the Australian consumer. Uh, for us at the Taste Rise office, it's actually been a really exciting time to get to know uh, kind of as personally as possible, uh, con- you know, consume- food and beverage consumers from all these different countries that we're branching into. So um, this has been personally an exciting project. Um, so big thanks to Luda for teaching us all something new um, and putting all this data together that hopefully we can share with you all today. Um, So what we're going to cover today, I want to look at kind of the classic Australian food and beverage scene and then talk about uh, what our data is showing is going on in that space. So, you know, what's trending, what's interesting, what's going on, um, and really making sure to keep that Australian consumer at the center. Um, And that's what we do at TasteWise, long-time listeners, new-time listeners, you all know this. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about who the consumer is and then... um, Well, maybe we'll do that at the end and then we'll talk about the the, uh, food and beverage trends themselves. So I want to start by talking about traditional cuisine. Um, and it's actually a little bit more of a complex uh, concept. Um, so Ron, maybe we'll start with a question. Tell me, when I say traditional cuisine, maybe let's pick a different market because we've been working in the U.S. for much longer. When I say traditional American cuisine, what comes to mind for you? Um, honestly, like... Uh... McDonald's, like uh, burgers, fries, uh, because maybe with me not being an American, but when you eat like American cuisine in other places, it's usually like 
um, burgers and fries. Cool. Okay, right. So um, there's a couple different ways to think about traditional, right? There's the sort of like surface level kind of uh, cultural export right? Um, people always say that, that we're exporting American culture through McDonald's, et cetera. Um, and that's definitely part of the picture. Um, but the U.S. is so massive and so complex and has so many different regional differences and population differences and cultural differences, right? That there's no such thing really as one static form of American cuisine. Um, and especially as I think brands and consumers alike um, are becoming more aware of that diversity and that richness, um, the kind of the definition of traditional is expanding. Um, so if we apply that same kind of lens to Australia um, and we think about traditional, um, we can kind of look at it in two, two forms, right? Uh, the first is Western European, right, which makes sense. Um, Australia has its roots in the British Empire. Um, so if we're looking at Western European kind of cuisine, um, that is an important part of the Australian, traditional Australian cuisine. Um, and there's also a really important part of the story, which is actually uh, the folks who are uh, indigenous to Australia. So Aboriginal communities and Aboriginal peoples in Australia. Um, so both of those are an important part of the story of Australian cuisine. And we're going to talk about um, both of them today. So I think we'll start with the Western European cuisines. Um just as a, an aside, uh, learning about Australian cuisine has been really cool after doing so much work on UK cuisine. So being able to see kind of where the overlaps are and where the differences are, um, just obviously because they are two very different separate uh, countries and, and cultures, but there are also, there's a lot of overlaps. Um, mm -hmm. So first we'll start with um, Lamington. Do you know what Lamington is, Ron? Um the, I do actually, because oh, do I, you? I, I do. No, I do because my, it's a, it's a type of cake. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, How do you know? When, that? Uh, because when uh, my wife and I, we did a road trip in Australia uh, from uh, Sydney. Uh, we went up north, and then there was a huge, huge storm. Um, so we had to take a flight from there to Melbourne, and uh, we spent about like three weeks in uh, in Australia doing a road trip. Um, yeah, this was years ago. Um, and I don't remember exactly where it was, but I, I do remember that we had Lamington. Um, and we were obsessed with like three things there, which was one, the coffee, two, uh, this cake, and uh, and banana bread. Those were like the main, mm. That's that was most of our like diet while we were there. <laughs> Honestly, sounds great. Um, so you are not alone uh, because lamington is kind of a staple Australian dish. Um, it's so those for those who don't know, the, for those of you who weren't on a three week uh, road trip <laughs> with Javi, uh, <laughs> explain this um, and are not Australian. I'll give you the kind of the inside look. So lamington is an Australian cake um, and it's made from squares of usually butter cake or sponge cake. Um, and then it usually has kind of a, an outer coating or an outer layer of chocolate sauce and then oftentimes is rolled in desiccated coconut. So uh, according to um, kind of like food, I don't know what the word term is, food genealogy. It sounds like an, an interesting way to call it, but kind of food history. Um, Lemington cake actually originated in New Zealand, um, but Australians consider this to be their national dessert. So, and we'll talk about a few other desserts as well as we go through. Um, but Lamington is actually, so you might think, okay, interesting, cool, Lamington well-established, but it's actually still rising in uh, social discussions 78% year over year. Um, which is pretty cool. So, so Australians are finding um, new ways to to like be excited about this staple dish. Um, and maybe we can talk about some of the ingredients that are making it they're making their debut for Lamington. Um, 
Lamentine is also uh, not traditionally vegan, right? It uses kind of the classic cake ingredients, um, but the dominating diet for Lamington is vegan. So that's one of those areas that people are exp- experimenting with finding vegan versions of Lamington. Um, so that's kind of the first the first trend that I, I want to put out there for us. I wonder if uh, you take a look at other markets, uh, other countries, and you look for the dishes that are uh, considered traditional, like things that have been around for a long time. Um, if there's some sort of commonality in terms of uh, what's going to be the the dominating diet for those, is it going to be something that essentially adjusts this traditional dish to a more modern mm. lifestyle? Um, and if so, does that is that the the key driver for its resurgence for the fact that it's um, that it's still being relevant? And also, I think That's we should question. change your title to food genealogist. <laughs> food genealogist, honestly, the dream, the dream, the dream. Um, I also want to note that uh, kind of per that point, that unlike some of the other countries that we're seeing, especially in the West uh, that we've been covering recently, where vegan um, is, is rising in at least some capacity, right? Um, it's a dominating diet and rising. Um, actually, in Australia, vegan is the dominating diet. Um, it's about four percent i would say of food and beverage conversations um and that's just for context that's about double um the kind of closest competitors which are uh, just vegetarian or plant-based and then gluten-free keto etc so vegan is important in australia it's actually uh, pretty significantly decreasing around uh, almost 30 percent year over year so the fact that lamington is increasing for vegan applications is unique to lamington um which i think is is interesting to call out um, and the top trending ingredient for Lamington is actually raspberry. Um, so raspberry versions of Lamington is up 16% year over year. So lots of interesting innovation going on there. Um, but we're going to keep it a little bit high level today just so we can walk through um, some other trends. Um, the next I want to talk about is the traditional Australian meat pie. Um, and I will say, as I researched this, I wanted to see what meat pies look like um, because I live next door actually to a New Zealand pie shop. Um, so I know what New Zealand meat pies look like, but I was wondering if Australian meat pies look differently or look different. Um, and there is a, a dearth, a lack of photos on Google images of Australian <laughs> meat pies. So if you're out there and you're a food photographer in Australia, I found a, an opportunity for you. Um Okay, so an Australian meat pies, uh, kind of the classic kind of ha- almost hand pie, right? They're smaller, they're um, encased meat, really not a whole lot to explain there. They're very, very popular. Um, they are actually increasing 105% year over year in social discussion. So I think one of the big takeaways here for Australian cuisines is that um, these classic, almost old-fashioned staples are actually um, continuing to have new life, continuing to try and continuing to find new innovation. Um, so traditional is absolutely uh, something, kind of new twist on tradition and also just tradition, right, is important in Australian cuisine. Um, so I'll tell you the top consumer needs that are in Australia right now, and, and we'll think about how uh, traditional fits into that uh, too. So um, the fastest, what do you guess, Ron, based on what we just talked about, the fastest rising um, consumer claim in Australian um, is it beverage. Is it nostalgia? Ooh, good guess. No, it's local. Oh. Um, which, you know, kind of plays into a little bit about the, the traditional. It also plays into um, oftentimes kind of the uh, Australian lifestyle. Um, so local is actually the only um, of these top claims, top penetrated claims in social discussions in Australia. It's the only one that's still growing. The rest are actually decreasing um, minorly, but decreasing. Um, homemade food and beverage in Australia is actually decreasing around 40% year over year. 
Um, so that's interesting, right? Maybe that's an opportunity for food service to kind of hop on um, the trends that we're talking about today. Um, I'll pull up quickly, if we can, um, traditional. So traditional accounts for around almost 2%, I would say, um, of food and beverage conversation. So it's up there. It's the eighth most popular um, experiential claim. So we're looking at um, like a big need for things that are locally sourced, traditional Australian dishes that might have a bit of a more modern twist on them. Yep. Could exactly. Be, uh, yeah. An interesting and, and maybe even in food service, right? Um, either mm-hmm. like either in restaurants or, um, you know, maybe there's a, an opportunity for, uh, for recipes to kind of reemerge here. We'll talk more about recipe data in just a moment. Um, but I want to, I want to pause us there. So that's, um, that is the kind of traditional side of things. One final fact to round out the traditional, um, Aussie meat pie, uh, the dominating diet is actually, um, vegan as well, um, for, uh, meat pies, um, which means that people are looking for vegan alternatives to meat pies, right? Um, makes sense. Plant-based. We just talked about that, how that and vegan are, are well penetrated in Australian uh, food and beverage. Um, so that's one side of the coin for traditional Australian cuisine. And I want to talk um, about our Aboriginal cuisine as well. So um, Australian cuisine is this combination of, you know, the traditional Western European that we were just kind of referencing a little bit, um, a little bit of South Asian, a little bit of Aboriginal um, cuisines as well. Um, And I'll just give a little bit of context here. So there are about 500 different um, groups of Aboriginal peoples in Australia. Um, Each one has their own language, their own territory. Um, They are made up of usually large numbers of separate clans. So when we say Aboriginal cuisine, just like we do for any other cuisines, right, it's not this monolith. There's obviously diversity within all of these, just kind of that, that example that we just gave about the U.S. cuisine right? Australian cuisine. It's obviously much more rich and diverse than just saying it's one thing. Um, But its impact on Australian cuisine is actually pretty significant. So um, if we look at the data, we can see that there's actually 160% year-over-year growth for Aboriginal cuisines right now in Australia. Um, So people are uh, are interested in Aboriginal cuisines at a rate 160% higher than last year. Um, And the the most penetrated uh, claim or the the thing that people are most talking about when they're eating Aboriginal cuisines is traditional um, and aligns with what we were talking about previously. Um, And gourmet is actually growing the fastest. Um, So people are interested in kind of bringing this gourmet perspective to um, traditional Aboriginal cuisines, which is is interesting to note. And that could merit its own podcast episode um, fully. But... Um, and one of the fastest growing um, dishes within Aboriginal cuisines is barramundi fish, which is a large river fish. Um, and it's actually growing quickly, as well as, uh, let me find the other one, witchetty grub, which is a traditional Aboriginal cuisine, which is moth larva, um, and grilled kangaroo, um, which surprisingly is found uh, maybe not surprisingly, I'm not Australian, so I can't comment on surprising or not, but grilled kangaroo is found on 114 menus across Australia. So that's a fun fact for you. So I'll leave that there. Interesting stuff coming out of um, Aboriginal cuisines. It's exciting to see kind of mainstream culture giving Aboriginal cuisines its due, right? Um, we know that the way that we relate to Indigenous culture and food has a very, very complicated and often harmful history. So it's exciting to see that uh, that it's kind of giving getting its time in the sun. Mm-hmm. And the the trend that you were, were mentioning earlier about uh, home cooking uh, trends mm-hmm. kind of decreasing, um, do you take that to mean that uh, the trends where we're seeing opportunities are the the bigger opportunity is in food service? I don't know that I would say that. I think that um, it's probably more of a reflection on people um, kind of coming out of COVID mentalities, if we can even say such a thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, maybe it's 
food service, but maybe it's also creating exciting different kinds of recipes that people can kind of get excited about again in the kitchen. Um, so I think it would take a little bit more exploration, but I think both could be interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Great. All right. Um, so if we look outside of the bounds of necessarily traditional food and we think about other types of cuisines that are, um, that are exciting in, or that are at least trending, um, in Australia, we can look at Italian cuisine. So Italian cuisine has had a very significant impact on Australian cuisine, which might be surprising. Um, we'd have to call our, our food genealogists to get a sense of why um, this particular cuisine uh, is on the move. So um, Italian restaurants are actually the most popular uh, cuisine type of restaurant in the country. So there's over 5,000 um, Italian restaurants in Australia. Um, and the most popular dishes on Australian food blogs, so if we look not at food service, but at home cooking, um, we're seeing chicken parm and spaghetti bolognese, or as the Australians call it, spag bowl, um, are the most popular <laughs> dishes on Australian food blogs. Um, so it's definitely something that's penetrated within uh, home cooking and within um, restaurants. Um, and I'll give you just a, a quick let's see, a quick recipe I'll pull one up here. Um, so it looks like cheese and garlic bread is actually the most popular recipe in Australia at all. So not just within Italian cuisine, but um, if we're looking at all of the home cooking scene, all of the recipes that are popular in Australia, it's actually cheese and garlic bread um, with about 240,000 saves um, followed closely by pizza dough. So lots of engagement both in home and away um, and uh, definitely a category worth watching. So again, speaking as a non-Australian, this is the one food, <laughs> food item that I could have pulled out of a crowd um, <laughs> and said it was, you know, traditional Australian uh, cuisine. So Vegemite, everybody's favorite uh, spread, um, actually appears on over 1,200 menus in Australia, um, including 56 McDonald's menus in Melbourne alone, um, which is the birth city of Vegemite. Who knew? Right? Vegemite comes from Melbourne. Yep. Um, and <laughs> before <laughs> before we started recording this podcast, like with very little context, Miriam was uh, going through her notes and just going like Vegemite, 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 Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm now it's all connecting. <laughs> now you know why. Yeah. So um, this one is exciting for me because um, Vegemite, which you might think again, right? It's this classic staple. You wouldn't expect to see a lot of growth necessarily for it. Um, in consumer conversations, it's actually up 53% year over year. So again, people are finding new applications for Vegemite. Um, they're loving it. Uh, Australians are, are very um, proud of their traditional cuisines. Um, and here's your other fun fact of the day, Ron. Mm -hmm. How many jars, I'll ask you, how many jars of Vegemite are manufactured in Australia every year by Bega Cheese Limited, which is a giant food manufacturing company? I think it's the top supplier. I might be How many that, jars of Vegemite? Vegemite. Um, are I, I have, a, first, I will have a very painful um confession is that I'm not hundred percent sure what Vegemite is. Uh <laughs> Oy Oy um but I will say probably in uh the I don't know, ten like tens of millions. Do they supply nice. it to the whole world? Nice. Um I don't know, mm -hmm. but I will tell you that it's twenty three million jars. So twenty three yeah. million jars of Vegemite which is a huge amount of Vegemite, right? And that would explain yeah. um, why there's ample supply for the growing Australian taste for Vegemite. Yeah. Um, so that's a good one as well. Um, 
we could keep going for days about the, you know, these different Australian uh, products and dishes. <laughs> but I think the big takeaway here in terms of trend is um, traditional foods across the span of Western European all the way through Aboriginal. People are interested in traditional foods. They're interested in having them part of their day-to-day lives. They're talking about them. They're, um, you know, they're having them at restaurants. Um, homemade food is down um, in terms of, of uh, conversations on social media, um, mm-hmm. which just points to, it doesn't mean that people are, you know, never going to cook at home again. It just means it's pointing to an interesting opportunity either to bring Mm -hmm. um, that trend mentality to food service or to create exciting uh, new recipes. Um, So that's kind of the big takeaway. And I want to finish up today with a few notes about the Australian consumer uh, themselves. All right. Mm-hmm. So we spoke a little bit about dominating cuisine or dominating uh, diets, pardon. Um, so we spoke about how vegan, right, is the top penetrated, followed by plant-based vegetarian. Uh, I think it was gluten-free, keto, right, um, kind of the classic ones that we're seeing pretty much globally um, trending. Um, and we also saw that yeah, Italian cuisine is the most popular um, cuisine across the country in terms of uh, restaurants. Great, right? we've got the the highest number of restaurants. Um, in Australia, but if we look at the consumers themselves, so um, Australians are actually mostly omnivores, meaning that they eat both meat and uh, and, veg- and vegetables, obviously like plant-based eating, um, and consider their cuisine to be fairly healthy. So it's very much focused on um, fresh produce, meat, vegetables, things like that. Um, it makes sense why local is is to this day, right, still one of the top trending, uh, the only increasing um, kind of top ten motivation for food and beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, there are about half a million vegans in Australia, which accounts for 2% of the population. So a pretty, uh, pretty hearty number there. Um, there are about 2.5 million people in Australia now that eat exclusively or almost exclusively vegetarian. So that's about 12% of the population. Um, so again, if we kind of zoom out for a sec, that's a pretty significant portion of um, the Australian population that is um, at least experimenting with a plant-based diet. Um, which is pretty good. And 42% of Australians are actually either reducing the amount of meat they consume or cutting it out of their diet entirely. So there's, if we think about, we started off tiny, moved to 42%. So if we think around, around 40% of Australians or more are um, taking plant-based seriously, right? They're either cutting down their meat consumption or they're turning to be fully vegan. But either way, that's a that's an, an important motivation to consider for, for brands, restaurants, et cetera, who are looking to create something new. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see, 90%, over 90% of Australians are concerned about the environment and sustainability, um, which leads consumers to purchase locally sourced products, um, which again, right, speaking about local, which we did a second ago, with limited impact on the environment. So sustainability, huge deal in Australia, um, very much worth keeping an eye on. If we pivot towards behavior, we can see that 73% of millennials actually place their food orders on food delivery apps. Um, So maybe we could do another episode if anyone's interested about um, food delivery behavior in Australia, which could be interesting to track, Um, and especially for millennials, which we know is a a significant audience for food delivery. Mm -hmm. And finally, we'll round out. So this is data not from us. This is from Accenture. 83% of consumers want businesses to understand them better. which emphasizes how consumers come to expect a personalized experience. So um, again, it's similar to a global trend. We're seeing this also in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, consumers want transparency. They want um, empathy. They want businesses that understand them and their needs specifically. Um, and the needs that we're seeing to be most prominent right now in Australia are local food and beverage that support a sustainable lifestyle. Plant-based mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, and traditional foods. So um that's kind of a, a rapid fire look into the mindset of Australian consumers, but um, I think that's helpful for understanding opportunities for new product development, recipe development, all that good stuff. Sounds like there is a really interesting opportunity in Australia right now for locally sourced 
vegan alternatives for traditional dishes, whether that is yep. um, through the application of, um, of content and recipes or new products that are going to be hitting shelves in, uh, in mm-hmm. retail or in uh, food service. We work with uh, a lot of the largest uh, CPGs in the world um, with uh, the TasteWise decision-making platform, kind of helping them make decisions about the, uh, the products that they take to market um, or more, uh, more like providing the platform that helps them make uh, those decisions. And we're seeing that even including um, a certain uh, consumer claim or motivation on um, even on the packaging of a certain product um, has a, a pretty significant impact in helping your consumer, talking to that personalized ex- experience, helping your consumer really understand that this product fits their lifestyle. So yeah. if, for example, we know that uh, many consumers, uh, let's say even if we want to segment this by audience, millennials in Australia um, who are looking for locally sourced vegan alternatives for kind of the Australian staples, like the the really traditional dishes, Um even if we present um, a recipe that calls out these motivations, these very specific things, um, we found that those tend to have uh, anywhere between four and 15 times more uh, engagement, which then, of course, leads to increased consumption uh, frequency. So a lot of really interesting uh, opportunities in better understanding how your consumers are reacting to the mar- the market and also shaping it in in real time. So really amazing stuff. Um, cool. Are we okay. going to be covering uh, some of the other markets on uh, future episodes? We are. We are indeed. Yeah. We're going to be looking at Canada. We're going to be looking at India, which I'm excited for. I'm excited for all of them. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we have the full content calendar. We'll put it, maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. So thank you so much, Miriam. Uh, I'd like to quickly just thank the team that makes this uh, podcast um, uh, possible. So uh, this podcast is produced by Ophir Nagar. A lot of the research uh, that we were going uh, through today was done by our product marketing manager, Luda Greco. Um, We have uh, Daniel Gall, who uh, edits the podcast. And if you've been seeing some of our videos uh, on uh, LinkedIn, um, Eyal on our team is uh, editing those uh, and uh, producing those for us. So we uh, we have quite the team here now uh, that helps us bring all this to you. So I just want to take a moment and thank this amazing, amazing team that uh, makes this possible. Um, and uh, I also just want to quickly mention that we have launched um, Australian data as well as uh, Canadian data and a few other countries and markets um, on our free edition. So if you go to tastewise.io right now and you click the Get Started button and you sign up uh, for Tastewise Starter, our free edition, you'll be able to um, create trend reports about ingredients, dishes, diets, um, anything that in the food and beverage world from these different markets and also change between these markets such as uh, US, UK, Australia, um, India, France, um, all of them are in there. Um, a lot of really really valuable information that is all available for free. So I'm very, very excited to have everyone try it out. Uh, And you'll also get a few emails from us helping you just uh, ramp up with it. Um, Anything else, Miriam, before we wrap up? No, I think uh, that was good. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We hope this has been useful for you. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.